What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, world. Welcome to another edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We know you need this podcast. You're locked in your homes, quarantined, haven't been outside in weeks, and you're worried. You think there's nothing to talk about because there's been no running action. But don't worry. We've got a kick-ass podcast for you this week. Very good show. We've got a featured guest at the end of this podcast. We're going to have Sean Brosnan, the head coach of the Newberry Park High School team, the juggernaut team in California that had produced both the NXN individual and team winners. He's going to share the secrets with the world. Plus, we're going to talk about who is the greatest American distance runner of all time. We're going to go back in history. Also, talk about past Olympics, since there will be no Olympics this year. And maybe even who would you rather, whose career would you rather have, Nick Simmons or Alan Webb? But guys, folks, there's been so much depressing news. I want to start with exciting news. I'm very pumped about this, guys. The Olympics have been canceled. In my mind... This is Ledgewood.com co-founder Robert Johnson. This is fantastic news because think about it. There's nothing else that can be canceled. We had Boston and London last week. Now the Olympics. From now on, guys, we're at the bottom. Only We can only be adding events because everything in the world has been canceled. I'm taking an optimistic view about this. COVID-19, you don't have me down, and I hope it doesn't have my co-founding twin brother Weldon down or Jonathan Galt down. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Good to be here. But I I kind of view it the opposite way. That was the only thing in the running world we had left to speculate over, was whether the Olympics would be cancelled or when they would be cancelled or all these federations pulling out or the IOC's response. Now that's gone, and we have no events on the foreseeable calendar. I mean, we've still got a week left in March, and then all of April with nothing to talk about. We're going to have to get really, really creative now that the Olympics are cancelled. Yeah, it hit me last week. Maybe, what was it? Tuesday or Wednesday, my wife, I mean, earlier in the week, Tuesday or Wednesday. John, what day did the Olympics get canceled? Wait, I've got my days mixed up now. Yesterday, Tuesday, the 24th of March. Yeah, so I guess it was Monday night. Postponed. Let's let's just correct it. They're postponed till 2021. They're not canceled. My wife came into my room and said that her best friend's wedding had been canceled. And once that happened, I said, oh my God, the Olympics are next. Because I, I, it was weird. It was an epiphany for me. I'm like, if they can't even plan a, a late May wedding, people have to make travel plans. I'm like, wait, there's got to be travel plans made for the Olympics. It's a goner. I can't believe that's what caused you to see the light, not any of the news stories or any what the athletes saying they shouldn't hold it. Your best friend's, your friend's best friend couldn't have that wedding on time. Wow. Robert, you didn't sell our guest good enough. Sean Brosnan, coach of Nico Young. You got to drop Nico Young's with the younger generation. He's like an Alan Webb type. Jermaine Fernandez. He is the high school record holder over 3,000 meters, 756 indoors, which is faster than Alan Webb or Jermaine Fernandez or Drew Hunter or any high schooler in history. And guys, before we go further with the podcast, guess what? We got a sponsor. It's a crazy world out there. A lot of people concerned about their health. What do they have more time to do? Train. You want to keep your immunity up and you want to train optimally. We got the perfect sponsor for that. Thefeed.com is sponsoring this podcast. They've got everything you need to be a successful runner. They've got supplements. They've got SOS hydration, Martin hydration, 
They got vitamin C, vitamin D, immunity packs. If you're concerned about your health, want to stay as healthy as possible, and perform as well as possible, thefeed.com slash let's run. Use code let's run for 15% off. So not only can you like stay healthy, but you can save 15%. So use code let's run. Since Nico Young probably will be listening to this podcast, I just want to state for the record, I didn't mention his name in the intro because I'm trying to help him out. In the past, I've hyped up these high schoolers and ruined their careers. I was such a huge Nathan Ritzenheim fan. I once said he would be the first white guy under 27. Yeah, he, he had a terrible career, Robert. He never amounted to anything, right? What are you talking about? That never happened. German Fernandez. He ran 12.56. He broke the American record. I can't believe you're saying that you, you're responsible for Nathan Ritzenheim having a poor career. He had one of the best careers in recent memory. Look at look at the last great California high schooler, German Fernandez. I, I purchased thousands of dollars of Applebee's stock. I flew over to Mon Jordan to watch in the World Junior Cross Country. I mean, he did win a couple NCAA titles, but that didn't happen. Uh, one NCAA title. And then... Uh, he was also a key component of that team titles in cross country, so they won two there, yeah. And then perhaps my biggest hit was Ben Sorrell. God, I thought he was going to bring back the glory days of Colorado cross country. They won two national titles! Again, you... <laughs> Robert, sorry, this is my job. I got to call you out on the facts. He he was that top guy as a true freshman winning the national title. That I know he didn't amount to anything as a pro, but that was pretty damn good. Well, I'm just hoping Nico actually accomplishes accomplishes something. We've got we've got what I'm looking for is someone with a complete package: the triple crown, the college national championship, the high school national championship. I mean, excuse me, the high school national championship, the college national championship, and then the Olympic gold medal. I don't think anyone's ever done that. The talk with Sean's pretty interesting because he thinks Nico can run 13.30 for 5K this year and says sort of Nico's focus is on trying to run a fast 5K. I mean, obviously, there may not, most likely probably won't be a state meet, but high school coaches, we're going to story in this. In California, they're holding out hope for a state meet, a postseason. But the talk with Sean's very interesting at the end. I mean, that guy is like one degree separated from everyone in the running community. He was like picking Alberto Salazar's brain. He was picking Mike Smith's brain. He, he was used to pace workouts for Jerry Schumacher's group. Steve Scott. Steve Scott. Joe Vigil. Alan Scott Webb. Simmons. Jason Vigilante. It's pretty crazy. This guy, it, it's pretty amazing. And he's only been coaching. This is his fourth cross-country season. And he coached the national champions. So I think everyone, runners, other coaches, just fans of the sport can learn from talking to him. And, oh, man, the stories afterwards. If we, we'd only recorded the hour and a half we talked to him afterwards, it would have been nuts. I actually think Squadcast, our, our software, actually records things, even though we didn't have the record button down. So I could probably email their engineers and get it. Yeah, the, we did about an hour podcast with him. But the final hour where the three of four of us just, just sort of gossiped was amazing. If you email me, if you PayPal me, excuse me, $1,000, I'll send you that hour. I mean, that, that was the best. That was by far, it was way better than the podcast. It shows you that we're all, we're a little bit, filled. people don't believe I have a filter. We're a little filtered on the podcast. The post hour, Sean, I enjoyed that the most by far. But guys, what do you want to talk about first? John, you're good at leading the podcast normally. Well, I feel like this Olympics thing's a pretty big deal, but that, that just might be me. Obviously, everyone knows the Olympics canceled. But I saw, you know, Mike Tirico on the Today Show. And the Olympics canceled by now. It's, it's happened. But it's postponed. Like, Look, they've postponed. Excuse me. Postponed. Canceled for 2020. We, fine. Postponed. 
but they started asking, you know, what's this going to mean? Are the same athletes going to be there next year? There's a there's a lot to talk about and sort of like what it means for next year's. I thought your guys' article on this, I had no part of that article, was great. Like, you guys pointed out, like, this is bad for Nike in some ways for the Vaporfly because their shoe technology was so much better. Another year, other companies might have time to catch up. I mean, just all sorts of stuff. Okay, guys, let's go through this. The article that we wrote up, the six big questions in the wake of the IOC's decision to postpone the Olympics to 2021. The first big point we have, guys, what does this mean for the World Championships, Eugene, 2021? Yes or no? Do you think this meet, A, should be held in 2022, and B, will it be held in 2022? Yeah, I think it should be, and I think it will be. I think Sebco... He has his critics, but I think generally he has done a fairly good job running the sport. I think he knows that it doesn't make any sense to have an Olympics and like a world championships and an Olympics in the same year. That's just dumb. So I think he'll, they'll move it to 2022. There's no meet on the calendar that summer. There's the Commonwealth Games, but they'll, whatever. I mean, they'll figure that out. I, it's, it's a no brainer to me. We'll have Eugene 2022. Well, John, the, 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 it's not a question whether they're going to cancel it. They could move it to 2023 is what the real question I'm thinking. And of course, they're not going to have it in 2021 with an Olympics. This is on the, this is a scenario that's being discussed. Well, I heard swimming was doing that, but idiots, if they do that, I will never go to another IOC world athletics event rest of my life. Mark my words. Only an idiot would do that, John. So I just, I, I'm hoping they put it in 2022 and not 2023. My answer to my own two questions is yes, it should be in 2022, and yes, it will be in 2022. Well, then, do you agree? It seems like a no-brainer to have it in 2022. I don't see what what gets in the way of the European Championships or something. Track's unique in that there's no World Championships in 2022, so just shift everything. So there's already a World Championship scheduled for 2023 in Budapest. You don't want to move them two years down the road to 2025. So 2022 in Eugene, 2023 in Budapest, and that's it. Yeah, and also look what they did with indoors. They moved World Indoors to 2021. It's going to actually happen the same weekend scheduled to happen as, as World Cross Country. There's not, And then you're going to have World Indoors in 2022 in Belgrade. So I, I think they've shown with World Indoors what they're going to do. I think this. let's move on. Eugene, 2022. No, no. Th- there's one other interesting point that's fascinating about this. is Yesterday, uh, Mark Wetmore, the agent, not the coach, held a nas- nationwide teleconference with Noah Lyles, the sprint star, and think about Noah. He, he could be sort of, everyone always says the next Usain Bolt, but he could emerge as the biggest sprint star of the 2020 Olympics. They had him on this teleconference to talk about the postponement. And John, I don't know if it was you that asked him or another journalist, but someone pointed out the fact that, like, look, if you do have a 2022 Worlds, you're going to have a global outdoor championship for five straight years. 2021 Olympics, 2022 Worlds, 2023 Worlds, 24 Olympics, and 25 Worlds. And, you know, for track fans, that's exciting. The off year sucks as a track fan because not only is there no worlds, but then all the U.S. athletes skip the U.S. championships. There's just really nothing of consequence that means anything to get excited for the entire year. As a track fan, I'm very excited about that. I think there should be a global outdoor championship every single year. But someone asked Noah this question, and he was not a fan of this. Explain. Yeah, he basically was like, look, I think if we're going hard every single year – People are going to burn out. And all right, there might be something to that. But I think the more likely situation, I talked to you about this yesterday, Robert, was 
he's going to get injured at some point. Most people, I mean, we already saw Noah Lyles miss 2017. He was the U- he would have won USA's. He probably would have won Worlds that year in 2017. He missed that season because he was injured, and then he came back and won the Diamond League. And I think when you're Noah Lyles, right now you're on top of the world. You're in the prime of your career. But you only get so many bites of the apples, and I think by taking one year, removing one year, you're giving yourself one fewer chance to win a world title or an Olympic title, and then... It, say you lose another year due to injury, then you'd be thinking, man, I really wish I had that off year, like 2018 when Noah Lyles was on fire and winning all these Diamond Leagues. He didn't have any world title that year or an Olympic title. I think he would have really liked that if he misses another year due to injury. Now, what's this, Don, about the Otto Bolden's missing tweet? I feel like there's some sort of conspiracy theory. Was Otto on this conference call? Did he hear something? Did he hear Noah say this and sort of disagree with it on Twitter? But now this tweet has mysteriously disappeared. Uh, I, I don't know if he was on the conference call, but all I know is before that conference call, he had posted on Twitter saying he wished they had a world championships every year or world championships or an Olympics every year. And then I was going to go look at that to include in my article afterwards. And that tweet had been deleted because I liked it and it no longer appeared in my likes. So I don't know why he deleted it or if someone got to him, but it's gone now. You're saying Otto had the tweet, right? Yes. And then Noah said, I don't like it every year. And then Otto, so Otto, like, Noah just says something and Otto has to remove an innocent tweet? I, I don't think, no, I think this is total conspiracy on Robert's part. Because I, I actually, I don't think Otto was even in the conference call. I had not written that article. I don't think anyone else had reported that yet. So I don't know why he deleted it, but he did. Well, but it's, Otto had some explanation, right, for why he liked the world and explain it. I think this would actually be informational. In case Noah Lyles is listening to this podcast, explain the rationale behind Otto saying they need to have a Worlds every year. Otto was like, look, I had four great years, four in a row, and I only got to go run in championships in three of them. I wish I had that extra great year. And I think everyone does. Look, I, I want to hear, if you are listening to this podcast and you think there should be off years, email us, call us. Let's run, let's run.com, Jonathan Gold, let's run.com. Let me know the argument for the off year because I'm sorry, it stinks. It gives me more time to watch the FIFA World Cup, but guess what? In 2022, the World Cup's in the winner, so I won't even have that. So I just don't get the argument. The off year it doesn't make any sense. Oh, there's a World Cup next that year. Didn't think about that, John. It's in November and December. It doesn't even matter. Perfectly set up. Perfectly set up. Uh, I think it's one thing that's hard to do is when you're young whether you're Nico Young or Noah Lyles or whoever it is, it's really hard to not to understand that eventually you're going to get old and not be able to perform. You think, oh, I'm going to have a 10-year career. I'm going to have a 15-year career. Well, you know, I, I think now recently, thanks to medical technology, people are having longer careers, but we haven't had seen that many sprinters have really long careers, particularly the short sprinters, unless your name is Kim Collins. It's just hard to sort of see that down the road. I mean, Look, Alan Webb, I mean, he was done by what age? I mean, my God, he didn't even make it to 30, I don't think. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. So enough with the 2022 Worlds. We're all in agreement on that one. Hopefully that becomes reality sooner rather than later. Um, we've already talked about the Vaporflies, how the other shoe companies can hopefully catch up. I, I think that that is a big – I'm looking for positives this week, folks. I'm trying to stay positive. Um, I, you're assuming, Robert, though, that these companies, their workers can go in, that they can test stuff, that there's no supply chain issues in China, which we already know there have been. I mean, how much are they going to be able to get done before things get back to normal? I think the next few months, I wouldn't expect that much te- technological in- innovation. Or, or are we supposed to be like doomsdayers and say that 
There won't be events in 2021. I mean, we don't know. I I am done forecasting or predicting when we get back to normal. People are like, oh, the, right now, World Athletics is like, oh, we want to have a track season. We still want to put on Diamond Leagues. I'm like, the whole Diamond League season could be canceled. We, we have no idea. We, we don't know. Some people are saying 2021 Olympics. We don't know if we'll be ready for 2021. I, I have no idea at this, at this point. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I think some of the best things I heard this week on the whole coronavirus stuff was it was from like this Nick the Bolton Inside the Hive podcast. And he's like, usually I call people up and I feel like I'm talking to an expert and they know what's going to happen. He's like, I call people up and nobody knows anything. The experts don't really know what's going to happen. There are estimates all over the place. 538 has a good piece on how they're, they're surveying experts every week asking their, their projections. And I think their projections on the number of infections in the U.S. by March 29th will actually be way low. But, you know, a lot of their, some of their death projections are lower than a lot of people are projecting. So who knows what it means? We just need more data and we've got to talk about what's right in front of us. In terms of COVID-19, I actually think within one week, we'll have a better idea to see if it's, I think we'll still be going up, but is that increase in the U.S. slowing down, which is critical. I think in our private internal deliberations, I'd optimistically produce, predicted less than 100,000 worldwide deaths, which could be way off, but I still haven't totally given up on that. But it's kind of scary stuff. But I do have positive, more positive news, guys. Did you guys realize that they're running out of dogs to adopt in New York City? So many people are cooped up. Apparently, they're adopting dogs, and the shelters are almost free. So Pro-runners pro have been getting dogs left and right. I mean, Jenny Simpson just got a, a new puppy, and I think Vanessa Fraser, and maybe one other one as well. Um, no, maybe not. Maybe I'm confusing Jessica Todd and Vanessa Fraser, my former Stanford uh, teammates. But, yeah, uh, it seems popular in the running community right now. I think we'll know we've turned a corner when it's acceptable for the Bowerman Tracker Up group to go out and have like a time trial. They'll put a time trial on for us all, and we'll all be excited and act like it's a race. I'm dead serious. Jerry, if you're listening, Shelby, Carissa Schweizer, should we have the Let's Run.com time trial? We, we pay a timing company to show up on the Bowerman Nike campus. Let's do it May 1st, 2020. $50,000 for the American record and the 5000 Is that a good idea? The Electron.com American Record Classic. Uh, who's our sponsor for the $50,000? We crowdfund it. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be, I guess it'd be kind of fun to watch a time trial. I mean, some running is better than no running. I don't think it'd be that exciting, though. You'd only be able to see half the track at any given time. Then we do it at a high school track. John doesn't like American record attempts. We shouldn't do it on the naked camp. Shelby Houlihan already has the American record. She doesn't really have a huge incentive here. $50,000 is a huge incentive, John. Uh, I guess that's... Okay, that is a bit incentive. Yeah, never mind. But, no, the time trial stuff... But people would watch anything now, right? I, I am fascinated by athletes going out, running a mile as fast as they can, no watch. I want to see somebody do that. One athlete do that. Maybe we'll have to put, a, put out a bounty. You know, like the fastest athlete gets so many dollars for doing that. But eventually people won't want that. They'll want the, at least the Bowerman people to at least race themselves. Like, I don't know. Obviously, less than 10 of them could get together and race. You know, at some point when social distancing is diminished and people can run on the same track together. So uh, It's crazy how desperate we are for content. Robert Weldon saw a video of Paul Chalimo running in his bathtub and is like, we need to get that guy on the, con on the podcast. This is like the biggest story of the running world this week. Shout out to Paul Tulimo. This was great. We'll link to this in the show notes if you haven't seen it. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to have a treadmill. And he, yeah, he puts like 
turns on the shower and puts what like soap right or detergent or something like that soap and starts running like it's a treadmill it's excellent and then also people are loving jordan Hesse's little what's it like a dance mix john on instagram we can put that in the show notes as well okay guys we're actually back we just had a little internal debate we do edit these podcasts if you robert already offered a thousand dollars for the <laughs> you may, may not even do it if you pay a thousand for the secretly Backup audio with Sean Brosnan. $1,000, you can find out what we were just talking about internally as well. All, all proceeds go towards Shelby Houlihan's American record. No, no. <laughs> all proceeds go to me. Maybe, actually, for both those, maybe $10,000, we'll think about it. We need some rich manufacturers. Online advertising is supposed to take a hit, so. We've analyzed canceling the Olympics enough. I don't know. I mean, we could talk about the whole way it went down. Are people proud of Canada for... Uh, I don't know. How do you say it? Taking the lead? Or you could say they waved the white flag first. Or is that too much? Is that too controversial to our friends up north? I mean, they sort of did what everyone was going to do. But like, I feel like at some point, it's like, who's going to be first to say we're not going to the Olympics? I mean, USATF and World Swimming had already called for the Olympics to be moved. And, you know, Canada is basically what Harvard did at NCAAs. You knew someone was going to be the first domino. And then more and more countries were going to pull out. And eventually IOC had to respond. And... Again, you can argue, like, again, look, the Olympics aren't until late July. I don't think people had to rush into it, but apparently a lot of the athletes were just feeling very uncomfortable with the uncertainty and feeling pressure to go out there and continue training at a high level without endangering people, or perhaps they would have done it while endangering people. So probably the right decision. I mean, yes, at this point, it's the right decision to to postpone the games. Yeah, in theory, I was very upset by postponing something for late July. You know, what is that? four months from now but the more i thought about it i'm like the uncertainty has got to be really weighing on the athletes and also just like when i saw like no i mean the day after i saw no lyles is like training in a park he can't even get on a track it's totally not an evil level playing field i did kind of think that some of these usatf statements and usa swimming statements were kind of poorly worded it was more like they're worried about the athletes now admittedly the athletes are members of those organizations so that's part of their constituency but to me like the biggest reason is we don't think it's going to be safe there's no time to plan you know whatever i'm hoping that we're coming out of this by july and it looks like you know maybe we didn't have to cancel but i think that again as i I was saying i I, you realize you can't even have a wedding at the end of may how are you gonna have the olympic yeah i think the training stuff was more of a factor for actually other sports you know, if, if you're a team sport, how do you train on your own? I mean, running most distance runners, it's probably the easiest. They just keep doing what they're doing without access to a track, a lot of them. I was sort of shocked that Noah Wiles doesn't have a track. I figured the top pro groups somehow have access to a track. They sort of go, still can work out and practice social distancing. But pretty shocking to hear Noah Wiles is training on in some park, just kind of running on the grass. We did hear in the Sean Brosnan interview coming up, offline that he's heard of some pros who have a secret key to a track out in california all right guys there's no olympics but will we have a u.s championship in 2000 kidgo of the oregonian has proposed that once this covid19 thing dies down hopefully it does die down this year that we hold a big meet at the new hayward field at the end of the season i think it would be a fantastic way to conclude the season what do you guys think about that idea yeah, if it's safe to do so, I'd love it. I mean, Haywood Field, you open it in grand fashion. I mean, it's supposed to, right now, it's scheduled to open with the pre-classic June 6th and 7th. We have no idea about that. But yeah, it would be, I think it would be like the off-year world champion, uh, the USA Championship, and maybe people would skip it. But 
I think a lot of people would be like, hey, I don't have a world championships or an Olympics to peak for. This will be the meet I go all in on. No, if they could have a meet with fans at the new Hayward Field and there's been no sports, I think a lot of people would go. I think it'd be the perfect event. The thing's got a pretty big capacity. Even if you had to like space everyone every other seat or something, I mean, who knows what the world's going to be like then? No, come on. If we're spacing people every other seat, the meet shouldn't be held. If we still have to have those restrictive me- measures, mass gathering is not going to make sense. No, if they said you can have mass gatherings, but people need to take spacing, who knows what the world's going to be like, John? No, you can't have a mass gathering while also saying stay six feet away people all the time, unless you're putting people in bubbles. No, it's ludicrous. John, if a scientist says that, like you're acting like you're (laughs) some expert. If a scientist says that, well then, the whole... If the Oregon health people say this this is healthy and you can have events, that might be an option to do events. No one's going to say that. Keep spacing a thing. No one will say have a mass gathering, but also stay six feet away from each other. That is not going to happen. It's antithetical. You have to go up and use a bathroom. You have to go buy something. You have to have your ticket taken. The races, people have to be next to each other on the track. That will not happen, Weldon. Who knows what the world's going to be? Thank you, John, expert. He knows everything. What if the world becomes, you just need to keep your distance from people? I'm using logic, Weldon. I I do think that John's logic sounds pretty logical and convincing here, but I'm with Weldon in the sense of, I don't think anyone knows anything about this COVID-19 thing, and really, the experts are all over the place. And that's bringing me to the weekly Rojo rant where I go off. And my number one thing is about this COVID-19 thing is, and I've seen it repeatedly on the message board, people are not looking for information. They're looking for affirmation. People already have their mind made up on this thing. It's either going to be doomsday scenario and we all have to hunker down for five months and never go outside our doors or it's overblown hoax or, you know, I don't know if hoax is the right word, but some people think it's just like some government conspiracy, which is stupid in my opinion. But what I've seen on the message board is I can't even post a question. John saying the experts are never going to do this. Experts are never going to do that. We don't know. Yesterday, I started a thread on the message board saying, Amazing news, if true. So it's posted as a question. I don't know if it's true. Oxford University researchers say COVID-19 may have already infected up to 50% of Britain. And Oxford University, one of the top universities in the world, there's a paper by these people, and they were using this computer model. And they said, look, we don't understand why this current computer model, which is which is used to influence all of Britain's decisions, is the one that's being used because it doesn't make sense to us. We have this other theory now, their theory may be wrong, but it is interesting. Like, people don't have any idea what they're really knowing, and one idea takes hold. And people, if you ask the question, even as a question, people have been accusing me of being a COVID 19 denier. I'm not a denier. I'm just asking questions. I'm trying to be optimistic. Um, last week, I said, Hey, my friend proposed, why don't we quarantine everybody over the age of 70? Again, I posed it as a question. Someone says I'm a denier. And then the last thing, even this morning, I said, Someone had, I thought, well, this is really interesting. They said, look, at least there's a positive here. We're going to learn some important global warming information. Like, we'll see which way the Earth is going, the CO2, and stuff like that. So I said, hey, global warming people, what do you think? Are we going to actually learn from this? And the people they now think I'm denying global warming. I'm just saying, posing these as questions, and yet I get ripped for asking the questions. I think it's important to try to learn more. When you listen to the Sean Brosnan interview at the end, he's always learning. He's always asking questions. That's why he's an amazing coach. We need a clap track. That was good, Robert. I liked it. I mean, started off a little thing, used the word hoax. Not the right word to use, but otherwise very good. Good points. And like also on our forums, it's not like we're publishing pieces and like we these are reaching some mass audience with 2 million people. You know, 
we get a million and a half visitors a month on Let's Run, a million other months. But, you know, on threads, like a few thousand people are reading it. They're discussing. They're arguing. There's a debate. That's very different than, like, publishing some piece. And if you link to a study like that, Robert, yeah. I mean, I just think people are on edge and we got to be careful. But, yeah, like, that study's okay. But, like, the University of London study or isn't okay. But the University of London study that has, like, doomsday scenarios – we're only allowed to discuss that. I think you get in a very slippery slope once you start saying like what studies people can cite. I mean, it's just sort of crazy. Well, I'm glad the Weldon agrees with me. Last night, John, I got a text from him, and he said, "I don't think we should start thread discount counting the coronavirus and link to them on the homepage unless they stand up to scrutiny." I wasn't dis- even Weldon accused me of discounting the coronavirus. I wasn't discounting it. I was trying to find some possible good news from Oxford researchers. So people are not rational about this. It's a scary time. I get it. Okay. Let's go to turn back to running. Coming soon on Let's Run.com, we have a huge thread on this now, and people are seem to be eating this up. Who is the greatest American distance runner of all time? Yeah, I, I think it's essentially, I thought our race of the decade bracket was a hit. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to follow. I didn't actually vote. I let the public decide, but I thought this would be, a, this is a pretty big question. I, I don't think there's an obvious answer because if you click on the thread everyone's some people like oh has to be frank shorter and other people no it's definitely meb or it's it's definitely rap or it's no centro look he's an olympic champion it's it's all this debate and i think it's going to be really fascinating to see what let's run votes for john (laughs) stop right there stop right there god john did it john did it again folks john did it again this is why he's single man i left out kellen taylor i know i know no John left out Joe Benoit Samuelson. He didn't. He didn't even mention a one single prominent name, female didn't name. Didn't mention God. one female. John is most known. He got established in this industry by writing the definitive piece on the a women's Olympic trials five thousand meter race in two thousand twelve. And now he discusses the greatest runner of all time, and he only mentions the men. The hidden bias, the hidden sexism. We apologize, John. You're going to stay single until you learn to promote women and not feel threatened by them. Yeah, I need to be like Robert Johnson, who's who's really a leader on uh, all things promoting equality. No, yeah, obviously Jenny Simpson is in the mix, Dina Castor. There's a lot of different people, but we are doing a co-ed tournament. There's going to be men and women facing off against each other. This may upset some people. Sorry, don't vote if that annoys you. Wow, John. We're going to have 32 men and 32 women, though. So, Well, actually, oh, this playing game. We might need to... Yeah, right now... Playing game. Playing game to put... But you're starting out with 32. Right. We're going to have a little more men because we're having the men play in games. But I think that's fair because women haven't been competing above, I think, what, 1,500 meters since 19, before 1980, which is crazy. So the men's history is longer. But, John, can we get an update on your dating life? Like, how is this going? I assume you're not going out and actually meeting anyone. But, like, I've heard about romances. People just sort of meet and click online is have you met anyone new like let's run nation wants an update no i mean i feel like uh, at this point I, i've basically been off of the apps the last couple of weeks because where's it going to lead to like i'm just going to be messaging this girl for an indeterminate amount of time and I, I just don't really see the point right now it's like love is blind john you can get to know them as a person i mean you'll see you'll have seen pictures and interest and you can go from there good friend of my wife's she was working in London, but she's from Mexico. She just flew back to Mexico, got out of Dodge before they shut the borders, and she's hit it off with a guy back in London. They're, you know, online little romance. John, just remember the, please remember, take the health precautions 
Seriously, the New York, New York City has published a sex guide. And remember, John, you are your safest sex partner. Wow, sounds like Robert wants to get into. He wants me to do the multiples of six challenge this week. Oh. Speaking of which, if you listen to our podcast from last week, we did talk about the multiple six challenge. Wait, we got a lot of high school kids listening to this. I know. I, I'm just. You can go back to last week's podcast. It's a little bit inappropriate, not too bad. But I want to bring us to our email of the week. Hi, Robert. Notice what they write, folks. When they want to reach letsrun.com, they email me, El Jefe. Wait, if you want to reach us, let's cut in here. 844. You can call us. You can email us. 844-LET'S-RUN. If you want to have like audio on the podcast, hit option seven. Otherwise, you can hit other options and actually call our phones. And once again, people, if you want some of the best supplements out there, you want some hydration, you want an immunity pack, you want some vitamin C, you want some vitamin D, thefeed.com has it all. Go to thefeed.com slash let's run. Use code let's run at checkout to save 15% so you can stay healthy and perform at your best. They've got all the supplements runners need at thefeed.com. I'm a little disappointed Walt didn't read the official thing that he had typed up. I like the way you'd written it. Thankfully, our friends at the feed have sent our team their immunity boosting packs as well as a fresh supply of Martin and their new AeroFit device. If you haven't already gotten yours, go to thefeed.com slash let's run to be linked right to the immunity pack page and get them while they are still in stock. I think I sound better. I think I should be a professional voiceover. Anyways, we all, anyway, email of the week, Robert sponsored by the feed.com go. Or you can also email me Robert at let's run.com. But here's the email of the week. Hi, Robert on the podcast last week. You Weldon and Jonathan had a segment on the multiples of six challenge, which at our college, we call the six, 12, 18, 24 challenge. I ran at a division three school in the UAA conference school not to be named, and we had many of our runners attempt this challenge over the years. I'd estimate we had about 10 people start the challenge, and only two to three ever finished it. But it's absolutely doable with the right skill set. Now, this part is the most interesting part of the email. In my opinion, Division three athletes are the best equipped for this challenge due to their high alcohol tolerance and total disregard for recovery between most of our participants would start on the night of our yearly team beer mile so that they could easily knock out some miles and beers in an organized fashion. I don't have any specific proof that one of our runners is finishing it because most of it was recorded over Snapchat, except for the oil changes, of course. But two of the people who did complete the challenge did so together, so they were at least witnesses to each other. P.S. The podcast is incredible. Keep up the great wear and never stop ranting. And P.P.S., guys, Let's Run should definitely host some sort of unofficial virtual time trial. I would participate. So in addition to the... 5,000 American record attempt. I think we should hold virtual time trials. If you're a high schooler, come back to the site. We may be starting giving out some training advice so we can pick a date. Maybe we pick out like May 1st for a 3,200-meter time trial. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing I learned from listening to these high school, talking to these top high school coaches. There's other high school coaches. They're not even allowed to give workouts to their kids. So we think we're going to have some Let'sRun.com coaching workouts for high school kids. We're going to have marathon programs for people in, for the fall but like uh, people are at home like chris lear offer the running buffaloes he's like i want you guys to have a coaching thing for me so you got no excuse not to run right now all right let's return to our greatest american runner of all time bracket uh you guys will see we're going to be releasing the bracket the plan is on monday for the first set of matchups but before we get there there was sort of we had to, to sort of cull the field and one of the things 
we had to determine is some of those, these old timers in the United States. I mean, back when the Olympics was essentially America and then like a few countries in Europe, American distance runners would clean up. And I was going through looking at some of the accomplishments. We ultimately decided only post-World War II Americans are eligible. It's just too hard to compare across eras. The time's just not very impressive. But some of the stuff, I just want to give a shout out to some of these guys. So Jim Lightbody, all right? He's an American. If you've heard of Jim Lightbody, congratulations. You're a bigger track fan than me. I'd never heard of him. But at the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, he won the 800, the 1500, and the 2,590-meter steeplechase. And he got a silver medal in the four-mile team race. Now, this caused me to go on a Wikipedia deep dive into the 1908 Olympics. Some of the events they had... Oh, four, oh, four right? Oh, four Olympics. Oh, 1904. Yeah, sorry. It, 1904 got me into 1908. But this team race, it was just between the New York Athletic Club and the Chicago Athletic Association. The Chicago Athletic Association had four Americans and one Frenchman. And... It was just, it was like a cross country, they scored it cross country style, except it was a four mile track race. There were 10 guys in the race. The winning team of five got a gold medal, and the second place team got a silver medal. This was an actual Olympic event. Just, it's so different how crazy how different the Olympics were back then. Yes, and that's why I vetoed the old timers because, you know, the question I asked was like, look, was really winning an Olympic gold medal back then? nearly as impressive as even winning a Diamond League event now, and I think the answer is probably not. And I went to the official Wikipedia page for the Olympic Games. Well, I guess it's not official Olympic page, but the Wikipedia page for the Olympics. And this is what interested me, John. It says, the Olympics held at the Paris Exposition in 1900 and, the, and in St. Louis in 1904 were sideshows. This period was a low point for the Olympic movement. So 1896 was a legitimately big thing, 1900 and 1904, including according to Wikipedia, were sideshows, and then they got going again in a major way. So, well, this would make sense because I looked at it. There were 72 individual track and field medals. 67 of them in 1904. That's 93 percent went to Americans. Some of the other events, it's, there were four. There were four Americans who won three individual gold medals. In addition to Jim Lightbody, there was Archie Hahn. He won the 60 meters, the 100 meters, and the 200 meters. Harry Hillman won the 400, the 200 hurdles, and the 400 hurdles. And Ray Yuri won the standing long jump, the standing triple jump, and the standing high jump. These events were contested in addition to the regular high jump, regular long jump, and regular triple jump. And then you also... There was a 56-pound weight throw. Uh, 50%? That's... I couldn't believe how heavy that thing was. Do you guys, can you guys guess what the winning distance was for a 56 pound weight throw? 60 feet. Uh, I need it in meters. 20 meters. Seven meters. Uh, it was in between. It's uh, 10.46 meters. An Olympic record by Etienne Desmoto. In between? I was three meters off. He was 13. He was, he said 20 meters. He was 10 meters off. Anyway, it, it just blew my mind. Like that, that kind of confirmed to me. Yeah, it was great for Jim Lightbody. He won three gold medals, but this just wasn't... It's just he's only competing against Americans pretty much. It's crazy events. Just, sorry, you're not in the GOAT discussion. But back to the spreadsheets, the 64-team person challenge. Right now, John, it looks like... Is this true? The great Alan Webb may not even be in the contest. 
well, this is part of our debate. I mean, you look at all these people, a lot of the guys on the list have World or Olympic titles, or if not titles, at least medals. Alan Webb, I mean, what was his best finish in a global championship? I think he, he was ninth, right? In the 2005 World Championships? Where was he in 2007? I'm looking it up right now. He finished eighth in the 1500. Has John, have you ever seen the power move Webb made at the World Championships? Yeah. And how did he finish in that race? Well, then, ninth place. If anyone's ever seen that move, you put him in the top 32 American men of all time. Alan Webb needs to be in the contest. He made a, so making a hard mid-race surge gets you in the discussion for American GOAT? Well, then, finishing place matters. Like, Matthew Sensowitz, I don't ever remember him making a move like that, but he's got a whole lot more bling than Alan Webb. Central can't hold Webb's jock. I mean, that's that's just ludicrous. Centro's an Olympic gold medalist. Like Americans never win Olympic gold medals in track in distance races. Just ridiculous. Well, it's kind of crazy because like when Webb came around, there'd been nobody like him. It's just like it gave us hope, and like I still think his his upside was just as good as Centro's. I mean, that guy at his best, he could beat anybody in the world. I mean, obviously Centro can too, but. There's just something about Webb. I mean, maybe he didn't make it. Who's going to be an over Webb? Can't give him a play-in spot. Play-in. He, he was the thing. Right now, I have him in the play-in game, but I was de- we were debating who had the better career, Nick Simmons or Alan Webb. Now, Nick Simmons had a sixth place at the World Championships. He had a fifth place at the Olympics in 142. He had a World Championship silver medal, and he had six U.S. national titles. Alan Webb's best finish at Worlds was eighth place. He had three. Whose career would you rather have? Three national titles. He does have the American record outdoors. Whose career would I rather have? I mean, you've got to factor in high school, though. Webb was a high school legend. He was on Lederman. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Careers are whether I have. I take Webb 100%. Sorry, Nick. Actually, Nick's got a new book out. We should have him on the podcast. I mean, Webb just sort of defined a generation. People who didn't even follow running knew who Alan Webb was. They don't know who Nick Simmons was. Although Nick did go on the dates with Paris Hilton, so maybe... we got to get Nick on find the truth about that, because I heard that was a big PR stunt. It was a publicity stunt. He admitted it in his book. Oh, so it wasn't really real? Yeah, it was a publicity stunt. That's what I just said. Actually, so, no, I'm looking through Nick Simmons. I shortchanged him. Okay, he was 6th at the 2009 Worlds, 5th at the 2011 Worlds, Fifth at the 2012 Olympics and second at the 2013 Worlds. So, for those four years, he was one of the six best 800 meter runners in the world. He made six straight global, sorry, four straight global 800 finals, which is really hard to do. The 800 is like brutal. I mean, he had a better career than Alan Webb. I know he didn't run 346, but, you know, he won a Diamond League. I just. But that's not the same question. Who had the better career is not the same as whose career would you rather have. And I think a lot of people would be tempted to take Webb just because of his high school success of his 346. Uh, I think I'm leaning towards Simmons, though. That global medal, I mean, he just he ran better when it counted. And he won six, he won six national titles, too, including five in a row. That, I mean, his 2015 national title when he came back was also pretty crazy. He obviously had the better career, Nick, but 
I mean, every time Alan Webb raced, there was just something about him. You didn't know if he's going to run great. He was just all over the place, but like you wanted to watch it. He's the only athlete for 10 years. I'm like, oh, Webb's racing. I'll try to watch it. Absolutely. Absolutely true. But anyway, I think there was some pe- there was someone in that thread was trying to argue argue Webb over Centro. I know you were being facetious earlier. Well, then that's just there is no argument for Alan Webb over Matthew Centrowitz. That is a non-starter of a debate. No, but if, okay, here's the question: Centro in the prime or, or Webb in the prime? Who wins? Centro, no doubt. Yeah, it's not even close. It's not even close. And I, I actually posted on, on the forum about this. I can't find my post, but someone's like, well, it was such a better time trial than Centrowitz. That's not really true. If you convert Centrowitz's 1,500-meter PR, it's like 350, 347.2 in the mile. So Centro's like 340, Webb's like 346.91. So he's slightly faster. But if you look at the number of times they've gone under the equivalent of 350 in the mile, either in the 1,500 or the mile, I think Webb did it like four or five times, and Centro did it seven times. How many Diamond Leagues has Centro won? Webb, Webb could win the biggest races in the world. Now, maybe there weren't a lot of great could. opinions right Wait, did he did it? He, did it, How he many, won one, one time. Paris race. What races did he win of any significance, Weldon? That Paris race. That's what I'm talking about. It was just so shocking. It was so wonderful. I guess you could argue Centro won the Olympics, but that was a very slow race. Name uh, any other international race Centro has won. Okay, but he got second at the 2013 Worlds, sorry, which was won by a doper, Asbel Kiprop, so you can argue he won that. He won the 2016 World Indoor title. Guess who was third in that race? Nick Willis, who was also third at the Olympics that year. Does that not count, Weldon? I mean, I guess he's fabulous, but he doesn't do anything outside of the big events. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that's a really terrible reputation. The guy only runs his absolute best when it matters and cleans up at USA's. Every, come on, man. I mean... but. I feel like in the 15 almost we should have like just the championships are so different. Like when El Garouche would just come up short, like it's just such a different event when there's a rabbit and not the rabbit. But Webb, you're arguing like Webb was so much better on these other races and he wasn't. Like Webb had that one big one win. Centro almost won the pre-classic in 2015. I think he was second in London that year as well. You know, he did win the non-Diamond League uh, 1500 in London in 2018, was it? I think yeah, so I don't know. I mean, what did Webb do that was really that much that super impressive in some of these other races? I can't argue it anymore, John. I can't keep it going. I, I got to give up. I'm just saying. Well, Alan Webb had some great moments. He, he, you know, really exciting guy to watch. I'm not trying to shit on Alan Webb at all. You know, really exciting. Mila had some great performances, but wait, it's, Webb did- I mean, I'm, we're comparing him against the greatest American miler of all time. It's Matthew Sensowitz. He's not going to win that debate. Webb did win a pre-classic as well. Did he beat anyone good? I don't know. He ran 350.85 to win the pre-classic mile. That's pretty good. Yeah. Webb also would race back in the day. He ran pin relays, Drake relays, Adidas Grand Prix. This is 2007. Screw it. I'm taking back my own comments about Centro. Webb is back, baby. Actually, Webb, so Webb beat, look, 2007, actually, we'll give Alan Webb credit, best year of his career, Adidas Grand Prix that year, and also USA's, he beat Lagarde, and Lagarde went on to win Worlds. So, you know, th- those are not insignificant wins, but what did he do at Worlds? He was only eighth place. Webb was Mr. April through July. Central doesn't even start going until the end of July. Robert, you didn't chime in on, so would you rather have Simmons or Webb? You didn't chime in on that debate. I think I'd rather have Centro's. I definitely like to have Nick's hair, so does that mean I have to pick his career as well? I'd much rather be. I think I'd much rather have been Alan Webb. 
Although it'd be so frustrating to have that talent and never be able to harness that 353 was a thing of beauty. You're discounting uh, Nick Simmons' seven NCAA D3 titles? Yes, and there was never really a thought that Nick Simmons would ever win an Olympic gold medal. With Ron Webb, that was always... Well, I mean, yeah, that, he was unfortunate to cross paths with Rudisha. I guess you could argue Webb was unfortunate to cross paths with El Garouge in 2004, but by 2008, Webb, Webb didn't even... Webb made one Olympics, you know? Um. Okay, guys, before we get to the rest of the podcast, check out the Let'sRun.com shoe site. Go to Let'sRun.com slash shoes. As we said last week, you don't need to feel guilty about not supporting your local running store. You go to Let'sRun.com slash shoes. You find the best prices, the best reviews, and you won't die of COVID-19 because they'll be shipped to your house. So go to Let'sRun.com slash shoes. Now, guys, uh, we can... I don't know if we want to keep going on the 64 team challenge because we're going to have to talk. I want to talk about some crazy doping stories that have been coming out in the last few weeks because there's been a lot of them. There's been so many crazy doping stories. I'm just not sure where to begin. I think my favorite may have been the fact that a tenured professor, this is John Gleaves. He's a professor somewhere in California. He's an anti-doping researcher. He's been banned for four years for multiple drug violations. Pretty amazing, right? People were trying to make a big deal of it because he was actually testified in the Lance Armstrong case. But what people didn't understand in the, in the, on the thread, there's a thread about this, is he actually testified for Lance Armstrong. So I guess it's only appropriate that Lance Armstrong hired an anti-doping expert who actually proved to be a doper later than himself. And people were debating whether he should or should not lose tenure at his California college. I personally think he should, so good riddance. But one of the most interesting stories, too, also was the Panamanian sprinter, Virilio Griggs. He got a four-year ban. He just made up and he faked his time at a meet, some low-key meet in Texas to get a world championship standard. That resulted in a four-year ban. It's pretty amazing, right? Did he get to run at Worlds? Oh, I think he ran, yeah. He got in and then banned because they – I mean, four years, you could argue, is a little excessive. I'm, I'm kind of shocked he got away with it, but I don't know. If you were some random Panamanian sprinter, I wouldn't pro- probably wouldn't be spending a lot of time verifying he ran 20.17 as opposed to like 20.77. And then the other, the other doping scandal involved horse racing. I mean, horse racing is probably like so dirty. It's probably like track and field 15 years ago. Maximum security, the horse that crossed the finish line first in the Kentucky Derby and just won this $10 million race or $20 million race in the Middle East somewhere. His trainer has been like arrested by the FBI. Like apparently like there was this huge doping ring involving like 20 or 30 trainers. It's crazy. And people need to remember. So that means the 2019 Kentucky Derby first place finisher who got DQ'd probably likely was a cheat. And then the 2018 Kentucky Derby winner justify it's already come out about six months ago that that horse had tested positive before the Kentucky Derby probably shouldn't have been allowed in the Kentucky Derby, but the California officials kind of just looked the other way on it. So dirty, dirty, dirty horse racing. You guys have nothing to comment about that. Oh, well, I'm just trying to share the visitors. I I don't really have much to say at this point. I feel like the public's clamoring for the Sean Brosnan interview. I'm a running expert, Robert. Well, expert, loose, loose term there, but I know things about running. I don't really know much about horse racing. Well, folks, We've done our best then. John's demanding the interview come. I guess we've got to give it to the people. We tried to entertain you. 
We hope we have. Keep your heads up. Stay healthy. I think we'll learn a lot in the next week. Here it is, everybody. Sean Brosnan, who's one degree connected to everyone in running, and only his fourth year as a coach at Newbury Park High School. He coached the individual high school cross-country champion, Nico Young, and the team champion and his girls team also made the meet. And then Nico ran 756, high school national record for 3K. Great talk with Sean and how he got to where he is today and also what his runners are training for and aiming for now with the COVID-19 shutdown. Be safe, everyone. All right, everyone, we've got a special guest. I think this might be a first on Let's Run.com, at least a new version of the Track Talk podcast. One of the top high school running coaches in America, Sean Brosnan, the coach of not only the team national champion at the NXN Cross Country Championships, but the individual champion, Nico Young, who then dominated that race, one of the toughest NXN men's field ever, maybe the greatest one ever. He won going away. And then at the Milrose Games, when we still had track meets, he ran 7.56, a high school national record. Sean, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's, it's good to be here. I'm happy to be here. You're out in California, one of the more locked down states, I think, but it's kind of a, a surreal period because we reached out for the podcast and you're like, yeah, I can, I can, I can talk to you whenever. I'm a teacher. I'm doing some stuff remotely, recording some videos, but kind of tell us like what it's like now, what you can do with your kids. We're just kind of curious sort of what the situation is out there in California. Yeah. So I think most high schools in California are pretty similar, except some of, uh, some of the restrictions are a little different. Uh, as our school district, you know, there's three high schools in my district and we could, from my, my athletic director and assistant principal, they encourage us to keep speaking to the kids, um, keep them motivated through this like crazy time where that's going on right now. Um, we just can't officially meet with them for practice. So not, you know, seeing them and workouts and so forth makes it a little tough, you know, but with this track season, probably most likely not happening. I, mean, I think there's still a glimpse hope that, you know, our CIF federation is still hasn't hasn't decided to ax the season or the postseason. But we're able to, uh, you know, you know, stay in contact and keep them motivated. And, you know, my top guys and girls, even a lot of JV kids and guys and girls, they're, they're you know, they're still running and. They're trying to listen to the rules and, you know, run in very small groups, two to three at most, and, you know, just limit the time together and just kind of get through this and figure out places to run and work out. And you're also the head girls coach. I, I didn't give your girls team credit. I think they were, what place were they at in XN? 17th. Uh, and that was the first time they went. I've only coached the girls for three years. And that was my third year with the girls. So I took the girls over a year after the guys. And uh, so yeah, that was really good for them. We won the state championship with the girls also. So it was pretty awesome for them to go there next time. Yeah, well, congrats. I mean, a lot of coaches would be dying just to have a 17th place team. And <laughs> your, your boys did so well this year. Nico's done so well the last couple of years that they get all the attention. But it's an amazing program that you built. I reached out to some other coaches, and we're going to have an article on this, but Doug Soles, another top California coach, you know, he was holding out hope, same thing for maybe the states and postseason coming back. But not knowing sort of what season it's going to be, and you're encouraged to contact your kids now, it sounds like. You're just saying offline that they get credit at school for being active, right? So now you've, you're 
even actively encouraged to tell them to go outside and exercise and keep proper distance. Is that right? Yeah, because it's technically a class at our school. I think it is at the other schools in our district also. So I don't know how it is in other California high schools, but they get credit and they get a grade for for track, for cross country. So um, as a head track coach, you know, we're required to do obviously attendance, grades and so forth. And I just got an email right before I came on from my assistant principal, uh, NAD, saying that we have to, I haven't read it in detail yet, but it's basically saying they have to report um, two hours of activity <laughs> to get credit for track. So by them doing that, it's going to, uh, you know, I hopefully people don't get mad. I mean, I spoke to you guys earlier about this, but um, it's been a little bit of a battle because people are complaining to the school that we're holding official practices because they see my kids running and they see them working out. But it's not, I'm not there with them. I'm not an official practice. You know, I don't know how much I should say, but I actually had someone take a picture of me. I went running with my wife on Sunday. Um, my wife still runs and she's, you know, coming off an injury. So she's going to start training again. Nothing too crazy. So we went to this trail that was a little bit further away from our house than normal, but it's a place that we frequently visit in the summer, part of our training. And I saw two of my runners there and I literally spoke to them for five minutes and someone snapped a picture and sent it to my school saying that I was holding a practice. I mean, I wasn't going to run away from them when I saw them. We kept our social distance. I spoke to them for a few minutes. I ran separately and it just, it's a weird time right now. People are, some people are really mad about it. Some people are, you know, they don't really care too much. And it's hard to find the common ground of what we should or shouldn't do. Um, I'm just listening to the school and following their directions and helping the kids out the best I can. Yeah, it seems like you're seeing that everywhere in sort of the news now in the parks in Central Park. My cousin's out in Oregon. There's like people are putting up signs like, don't go to the beach. And there was literally a line of cars back to back. The parking lots were packed and it looks terrible. But then I looked at the photos of the beach and someone kind of agreed with me. They're like, look at the beach. People are actually keeping their distance on the beach. But I see how people are getting upset. I mean, our country's never seen anything like this. And people, if you're out there exercising on a trail, you need to be careful and, and try to keep as much distance as possible. Right. Uh, I got to interrupt. Well, then Spanish flu. I think we have seen something like this actually worse than this. But no one alive probably remembers that. Robert's neighbor's father was alive during the Spanish flu, apparently, and it, <laughs> it, it was crazy. But uh, it sounds like, because even yesterday I set up this, you agreed to do this, and we were just kind of talking a little bit about what's going on, and you were telling about the athletic director getting the picture, and, and you're like, maybe I, I post workouts online, I'm not sure, if I've been talking to the kids, but maybe they won't want me to do that, and it sounds like you've been encouraging them to go work out and maybe a couple kids are running together, but not groups of kids. And I guess various people are going to judge that different ways, but it sounds responsible to me. But now they later the coach is saying, Hey, they get a grade for exercising. They need to go exercise. And, and it's just kind of crazy how every day this gets different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's confusing. We're just trying to do the best we can. I don't know if we're, I basically, it's just like coaching. I think no matter what we do, we're going to get criticized um, good or bad. And I'm trying to just get through this right now the best I can. I always have a Google Doc for all my kids. So I know what they're doing. And, you know, we, we I keep notes of how they feel during workouts. And I like to look back on them, um, just to, for my own reference. So it's something we've always had. So I can see what they're doing. But um, I'm just, I'm just not involved as much, you know, and that's, that's the problem. Um, you know, I have some top guys and girls that are really hoping they have a postseason or 
we could find one of those meets with, I mean, I've heard rumors. I had a coach just text me a little bit right before I got on. They said, hey, you know, do you know of any time trials? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm staying out of all that stuff because people are trying to put together timing systems to get a time trial of some kids on a track. And I'm like, I, I'm that you can't, I can't even deal with that right now. Um, but I'm hoping by May or maybe June, these kids have something to train for. You know, my top guys, you know, they're seniors, Jason, Nico, you know, and, um, you know, and I have uh, some girls, you know, Gretchen, Haley, they're, they're really good runners and they just want one less shot at running something, you know, it, it'd be a shame to see them not get anything, but if they don't, you know, they're all going to good schools and they'll be fine next year. So. It seems to me when I, when I was thinking about like who, who's impacted the worst, the star high school seniors, I mean, someone like Nico Young wants to set national records. Yeah. I, I can see him being devastated, um, but he's probably still holding out hope and he's good enough. He could run in an Olympic, you know, in a professional meet and maybe get those times right. in the summer. But it seems to me that the, the ones that would be the most impacted in, in the worst way would be people like uh, someone was telling me, it's like, it's not the stars. It's the seniors that this is it. This is the end of their high school career. Like they're pretty good runners. They're not going to run in college. You know, they, they don't get to put up that time. Or if you're a sprinter, you know, I was thinking about the high school juniors. That's really the big year to put up the times. Now your cross country and distance runners can still do well in cross country next year but the sprinters and jumpers and throwers i mean how are they going to put up marks to be recruited you know so it's just pretty wild on that front like who do you think's having the uh, the hardest time psychologically on your team i mean i think the freshmen and sophomores it's not that big of a deal but uh, which do you think's harder juniors or seniors uh, a little bit of both i mean a good example i have a girl her name's gretchen she's run like only like 520 in the mile she could break five right now, but we can't get a race. She was injured all last year at track. She barely ran. She jumped in two races. She had a really good cross season running in the 17s. And now we cannot find this girl a race. She's talking to some Division two schools right now, but she just wants the time. And she has nothing. I mean, that's not even fast enough to walk on these schools. It's like I almost just want her to videotape you know, herself running a 458 because she could do it. I mean, I know she could, and it's it hurts them. You know, it definitely does. And then... Obviously, like you said, my juniors, I have some guys that are ready. I have a junior that can go under nine minutes and it's like, he's not going to get that breakthrough performance. So what I'm trying to let them know is like, listen, like your workouts are going to get you there and you have to build off your workout. I actually had a good conversation with Mike Smith about that because, you know, about Nico, like, do we just shut it down? I mean, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need him to break records for me, but he doesn't want to. And, you know, we both agreed he wants something to look forward to. He wants to be excited about something, even if he gets it or not. I mean, the workouts that he's doing are unbelievable. And I say that all the time, but it's, you know, this kid can go 1330 if he has the opportunity. So is he going to have it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. So is that what you're thinking is like peaking him and some of your other athletes for some meet in June if the season comes back? Is that what you're gearing training towards? Yeah, that's what I think they are. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, two examples, uh, Jace and Nico, um, both my seniors. Jace is going to University of Colorado and uh, Boulder, and Nico obviously is going to you know Northern Arizona. So both those guys could run a heck of a 5K. I mean, Jace could probably run close to 14 flat, and it's like, man. So we they've kind of switched their training to 5K. Um, their miles aren't anymore, but we're just the workouts are a little different. And, you know, it's, again – um, the hard part is, you know, the way I coach, I like to change things on the fly uh, in the middle of the workout and I like to be there, but I can't. So that's the hard part. You know, sometimes I wish I could see what was happening. So, 
You need to get another one or to get a like a Facebook. Hold the iPhone up at the workout, and then you can. I've I've seen video. They I've gotten yeah. I've had videos sent to me and stuff. It's funny, but I'm like, guys, I can't. I just I stay out of it. I just if I get it, I get it. But it's just it's kind of funny, you know. That would be my advice as a former college coach: is you better follow the rules, no matter what they are, no oh, matter yeah. how stupid they are. It's not worth losing your job. It's not worth being filmed stereotypically. Right. <laughs> So, no, you, you definitely do. I mean, you got to obviously Newberry Park. I, I've said this uh, probably a million times the past year. You know, in order to be a successful program, you got to have uh, in this is in the order of importance is administration support for high school parents, number two, and then the kids. If I don't have the administration and the parents behind me, we'll ne- we're never going to do what we did last year. So, we got to keep, keep that aboard. So, we maybe should start segueing away from uh, COVID 19 talk and into sort of your career and stuff. But one thing you mentioned, and maybe we can kind of get into indirectly is you got an athlete going to NAU, you got an athlete going to Colorado. And it sounds like, you know, Mike Smith pretty well. Did, did you just start getting to know him through the recruiting process or did you know him previously? And like, have you gotten to know Mark Wetmore at all? Like, and as a high school coach, how involved, like, do you talk to the college coaches in the process? I'm just kind of curious how it works on your end. I talk to the college coaches a lot, um, maybe more than other coaches. I've talked to some coaches. They say they stay out of it. Um, I'm here to help them any way I can. You know, as far as like Mike Smith, I actually met him at, um, you know, NXN over a year ago. And not even at the time, I didn't think Nico was probably going to end up at NAU. Um, we thought he was going to end up at Stanford. At the time, um, the way everything was going with uh, Milton Berg, you know, and that we really liked that situation. He really liked that situation. Um, but, you know, even ironically, you know, Nico, when he was going through the process, I think NAU was was on his list a little bit lower than, you know, I anticipated. And uh, I kept talking to Mike, nothing about Nico. And I actually, you know, talked to him about training, you know, here and there. We make phone calls and we'll, we won't even talk about Nico over the past year. And then obviously when Nico and push came to shove and he decided to make a decision, um, you know, with Miltonberg leaving Stanford, that was a big hit. Um, he was, you know, I think right now, I think if there were two coaches in the country that I would have been really happy to see Nico go to would have been, um, you know, running from Miltonberg or, or Mike Smith, both those guys. I mean, I, I don't think you can go wrong with them. I, I, I'm probably getting trouble saying this, but I think they're the two best coaches in the country. Um, so it was pretty awesome. And then Nico, when I think he started realizing that, you know, he has a, a future in running, you know, he made some adjustments to his decision and, you know, it was, it was, you know, Mike, he just, he felt it was the right fit and he, he felt the best on his recruiting trip. And I tried to stay out of it the best I could, but like you said, o- over the, you know, over the past years when I've really been closer with Mike and I'll call him, just ask him some tips about training, but I do that a lot. I mean, I can get into my backstory with that. I'll I'll annoy coaches. (laughs) I call them all the time, you know, without even knowing them. You know, this is probably a taboo subject, but I used to get a hold of Alberto and ask him questions sometimes, and he would help me out, and he would give me answers. I lived in Beaverton for a couple years with my wife, who was my my girlfriend at the time, and, uh, you know, we I would stand there at the track and talk to him, and he would give me any answers I wanted. He was, he was probably the nicest guy. I, you know, I don't see the bad side of him, but I also, I'm not with him every day. So told you a bunch of supplements to take, right? Yeah, no, he actually made, the one thing he said was make sure you get recovery. I remember my wife was doing a workout once and he's like, she needs recovery right away. You need to take something right away, like within five minutes of the workout. And then I was like, all right, all right. But we never, we never talked that. Um, 
nothing like that. So yeah. What in terms of training, what, what advice did he give you that was helpful? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think exactly, you know, we used to, there was one time where I went to Prefontaine with him. Um, I went to the pre-meet with him. I, I met I met him at the hotel room before Galen was supposed to run the 10K. So this was 2010, 2011, maybe. It was the year that Selinski was running the 10K with Rupp. And I remember standing next to the track with him. I was with Alberto. I was with uh, Darren. I think it was uh, his like psychologist that they use all the time. And um, uh, Rupp had, had um, ba- basically bailed out of the race. But in I remember people were saying all this stuff about him, like, oh, they did it on purpose. I I saw the guy before the race. He had like a severe allergy attack. Like he has the worst allergies ever. So he didn't run the 10K. He warmed up and they called it and said no. So I was standing next to him watching uh, Mo Farah run the the 10K. And I remember making some comments about like the guy behind him. And he would like look at me and he's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And it was just a cool conversation. So I felt like we kind of had this like weird common bond that he probably has no, no idea about. But then after that, every time I saw him on the track, I would ask him about speed work and how often how often it's, I should implement it. Um, or like he'd be doing these really fast hundreds. And I'm like, how can you, why do you do that? And I'm thinking, is this guy going to answer me? Just think I'm this annoying guy. But then I would send him emails and he'd get back to me and you know, he, I, I called him advice about Nico and he called me back and he was great. He, I thought he was awesome. And obviously I said, there's people who would, can't stand him. And I've never saw that side of him. He was so happy to help me whenever I asked him for anything. And this guy was like, you know, he'd be traveling in Europe somewhere and he'd call me and I'm like, this is insane. He's a, he's a nice guy, but you know. Yeah. I think people are way more complex than we make them out to be. I mean, somebody gets a drug suspension and we're like, all right he's all evil it's that's a little way too simplistic but your wife was a national champion right d3 national champion d2 she uh she was at queens before i was there uh she won under scott simmons um she won the 10k i'm gonna probably mess up the years i think i have her award right behind me somewhere um she she won 2009 2010 i think it was uh for the 10k at, at queens so and then, so that's what she did. She had run like at the time she had run low 33 minutes for a division two girl. And that was pretty good at the time. So, so Scott was your college coach. No, not my college coach. It was her college coach. Um, and then right after she was pretty much done with her, me and I set the whole thing up with Scott and Tanya, um, Tanya, her maiden name was Zephyr John, obviously Tanya Brosnan. Now she was, she had some eligibility left and was looking for a school and I knew Scott just because, you know, I was getting some advice from him about training. And it was just one of the coaches I reached out to. And I thought he was really intriguing. I always thought he thought outside the box, like a lot different from other coaches. And I like that. So he, I told him about this, you know, I told him about Tanya and he was like, great. He just trusted me and he brought her in and she ended up winning. He shed two years left and she, she won for him two years in a row. And uh, me and Scott stayed in contact. And then I went out and moved out there for uh, almost two years and I worked with him at Queens University, him and uh, a guy named Jeff Gaudet, who ran for Brown University and he was there. And uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot, you know, I mean, good and bad, you know, but I think every I think there's people that are going to leave my program and say there's some bad about my program, too. And, I, and they should because I don't know, can't do everything right. But I learned a lot from Scott. And I think, yeah, I know I, a lot of his workouts influence a lot of the way I do things. And, you know, he's not he's not he's not scared to hit the well a little bit here and there. And I like that. So can you talk us through your running career a bit? Like, it's it's pretty amazing. Like, John looked up these stats and I think it, it's a big gap. kind of like a lifer. You went to a bunch of schools, but like at age 31, 
Yeah. You were still grinding it out, and your PR went from, I think, 351 to 344 in three months. I mean, that's crazy. A lot of guys give up by then, but sort of, but I'm sure that process you went through yourself has influenced you as a coach. So I don't know, maybe t- the quick picture you as a high school runner to getting into coaching, like, how did that play out? I actually didn't start running high school until my junior year of high school. Um, I was around, a, my whole family was big into running had some uncles that ran in college and stuff. And so I was around it a lot. And then I, I used to race BMX as a young kid. And I just true stories. I broke my arm a couple times in one year and I joined my cross country team my junior year and just got into running. Um, you know, I jumped around a lot uh, from colleges. I went to Adam State for a little bit. Um, and then my last year at Adam State, I went home for the summer and I tore my ACL um, on my mountain bike. And I decided not to go back to school um, and take some time off. So that's where my big pause was. And then I I kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't running competitively, but I was always around running, you know, and I had a lot of friends that ran. I thought about going back and using some eligibility. Um, you know, in, the, in this time, I, you know, went and graduated, and then I had some eligibility left. So I used some eligibility at some NAIA schools. And, you know, I, I improved a lot from Adam State in that big gap just because, and this is what I always tell people, that, like, big 10 year gap. I like went around and just asked a lot of questions and reached out to a lot of coaches. And I used to have this thing where I said, I just want to train myself and use myself as a guinea pig and see how things go. Cause I knew, you know, running, you know, 344 or low 340s, I was never going to be some big sponsored athlete, but you know, I moved to Eugene for a while and I became good friends with at the time, like Will Lear and all those guys and, you know, Nick Simmons. And I would I would run with them sometimes. I wasn't working out with them because I wasn't a part of OTC. But this guy, uh, and, well, I'm sure you know, Andy Downen, I was training with his group a little bit. Uh, I talked to Dick Brown a lot. I got a lot of advice from him. I felt like the demise of my running was why I became the coach I am because I was so interested in going from group to group. I really didn't care about me running that fast. I just wanted to know a lot about their group and what, how they train and what they wanted to do. And I, I always joke with people and say, they're like, Oh, so where do you get all your coaching stuff from? I'm like, well, live out of your car for 10 years and just follow coach around one coach to another coach. And that's where I get all my stuff from. It's a combination of a lot of coaches. Yeah, what were you doing at the time? Were you teaching? Were you side jobs? Sort of. No. Like- yes, I worked. It's crazy. I was working at running stores. Uh, I worked at a lot of different running stores, which was crazy. Um, but I did. You know, I had to buckle down a little bit and make some money. So in between that, I worked for uh, Saucony. I was uh, a marketing rep for Saucony. Um, and then after that, you know, Saucony is owned by a company called Wolverine Worldwide. And I was. Uh, I got. Um, I guess it's a promotion. I, I started doing sales for a, a company called Caterpillar like the tractor company, but I, I sold the work boots. So I was doing that and it was a sales job. So there's a lot of jo- like hours on my own, but the travel was a pain in the butt. So it was just tough. But as long as I, to me, I just, I thought I'm going to coach one day and, and, and it's so untraditional and this is how I'm going to do it. And another one of my influences, I spent some time at, I, I, I had a, um, some eligibility left. I ran for Steve Scott, Cal State San Marcos. And, uh, you know, I don't talk to him often as much as I used to, but I got a lot of stuff from him where I just sat down with him for hours. I mean, we, I mean, he was my coach and then I would sit down ask him questions. I'd go to his office and, you know, he's got some crazy stories too. And it's just, uh, just one, it's part of my, my weird story. And I feel like people don't like it. They think it's inconsistent. I'm all over the place, but I don't know. I think ultimately I was like, no, I'm going to coach one day. I thought it was going to be college, but 
not unfortunately, but we ended up in Thousand Oaks, California, because my wife got a really good job out here. And I was like, you know what, let me give high school a try. And that was four years ago. And that's where I am now. So yeah, so how'd you get hired for the first time? And I mean, it sounds like you went to a great high school, but how, how did that come about? Um, yeah, actually, it's funny. I moved to Thousand Oaks, California, and I emailed about, I think I made a list of nine different high schools in the area. And the only the only high school to get back to me was uh, Newberry Park. It was a guy that's named Marty Marcial, and he was a uh, head of PE. And I told him that I'm finishing my credential. Um, I have my credential in, in business, English, and physical education, and um, you know, looking to, to coach and eventually teach. And he said, "Well, it's good timing because I'm about to retire. Why don't we meet for lunch?" And we went to lunch, and he was like, "Yep, you're hired." He's like, "Why don't you start coaching this track season?" I'm like, "Really?" And then I. I said to him, kind of as we started, I was like, I, I just, I really want a program that I can just coach and it's a hundred percent of like what I want to do. And he's like, whatever you want to do, take it over. And he just let me take the program over. And we weren't that good at the time. And I just had a, I just really wanted this team to be a top notch, you know, notch team. And I wanted these kids to understand what it was to work hard. And it's been awesome since. So. And five years later, you had individual and team national title. I figured you'd coach somewhere else. This is nuts. No, I mean, <laughs> doesn't you know, work like that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that, that, uh, you know, people like Doug Souls. I, I've I've told him this story. I have a funny, quick story. You know, uh, my first year coaching, our team had never gone to the state meet um, as a team, and we were Division One, and um, I, we had never gone. And in my first season, you know, with the summer training and everything, we went to the state meet. We were ninth. That was my first year four years ago. And I remember standing there watching the girls run. And I wasn't the coach of the girls at the time. And someone's like, oh, man, Great Oak. Nobody could beat them. They have 5,000 kids in their school. They recruit. They get all this stuff. And then I, there was a guy who was standing next to me that I knew and another one I didn't. And I turned to him. I was like, I'll, I'll beat that. I was like, we'll beat them. I was like, give me four years. We'll beat that team. I was like, they're just high school kids. You can get them to be good. Give me a break. And this guy turned around and looked at me like, you're a, you know, I'm like, I'm dead serious. I'll beat these guys. And then, um, you know, it's funny that now it, four years later we did, but I just think half the high school coaches, they want to leave at 430. They don't care. You know, I mean, I work a lot and I put a lot of time into it, but then there's some coaches like Doug and, you know, there's some amazing coaches out there. I have some friends that coach in New York that do amazing jobs. And it's like, we're on the same page. It's like, you just got to really want to be good. You got to want to make these kids, you know, be their best. I don't know. So what you take over the program, like what was the key? Like day one, what were you thinking? Like, did you think, oh, the workouts are the key or establishing the culture is the key or identifying the talent? Like what was your main thing on day one? Like what were the three things you were focused on? Yeah, uh, pretty much all those things. It's funny because when I, I wanted to quit about 10 times and my wife wouldn't let me the first season at track. I was like, these kids, I would catch the guys at the park on the swings and then I would go up to him. I'd be like, listen, guys, like you're wasting my time. I don't need to be here. So I'm like, I don't know if high school is for me. I mean, they're going to get fired. Their parents are going to complain or it's just not my deal. Like, I just don't want they don't have the emotional, like, you know, capability of running hard or, or wanting to do good work. And I don't mean overrunning. I just mean wanting to put in work every day. But the truth is, um, I always said, I think anybody in high school can be good. It's really hard to be great. But if you have a school, like our school's got, you know, over 2000 kids in it, how can we not be good if we're recruiting? Uh, I mean, if we're not recruiting, but if we're like, you know, recruiting these kids in our school to come run. So it's like, I just, 
tried to get the kids aboard and believe in me. And I think from my running background, a couple of them found some videos and they're like, Oh man, coach, we found you in this thing. They started respecting me for, for which was a good reason. And I had one runner who was a senior at the time and he only ran like nine nineteen for me, but he like took control of that team and he took responsibility for every kid who didn't do a run or whatever it was. And they, the, it was like a quick shift with the guys and, and they wanted to, be, they wanted to go to the state meet. And then we went to the state meet, we were ninth and I was like, man, come on, ninth place, guys. Like, don't be happy with that. You're better than that. And we were a young team. And then the next year, we didn't make it to the state meet. It was a really hard year for Division One, And we and we were devastated. And I was like, man, maybe I can't do this. But then, you know, things started turning around. We had a great track season. Nico was a sophomore. All these people were really believing it. And then the next year, we won. We won the state meet. We went to NXN. We were sixth. And then last year, we won the state meet again. And I, you know, was coaching the girls. We won the state meet and then we won. And I think it's culture. You know, I think if you come to my practice, you know, I only have 55 girls and guys on my team, which is pretty small team for California um, for girls and guys in cross country. These kids want to run um, and they want to do morning practice. If You know, we, we do morning practice every other day. At CIF only allows us to do it every other day. And, you know, we do a lot of supplemental training, keeping them all healthy. Um, I teach them about everything from nutrition to everything. Like it's a complete program. I have meetings with the parents and I tell them this stuff. So, so it's a complete program. I want to, I want to set them up for college that they succeed in college. Like that's my goal that they know what a hardworking program is. So they go to college and they're like, okay, this is good. Most of them are probably like, you guys don't do enough in college. I don't know. So, so when you get the job, are you just say, are you just taking whoever comes out for the team or are you going through the school and saying like hey I think you'd be good come run for me or that sort of thing how do you build interest in the program yeah I mean right at the time it's just whoever was coming for the team because I wasn't teaching at the time um, and then I then I was teaching PE last year I teach business now um, but you know this year but like so when I was with PE there was probably a few kids we got out for the team but the only kids I got from PE were like like a, like a kid to run like 52 or 51 and a 400, like, which is good, but not anything. I never got a, like a great cross country runner. We just kind of made do with what we have, you know? And like, you know, like a good example is like, I had girls that were like telling other girls in the team when I first coached them, like, you don't need to run over the summer. You'll still make varsity. I mean, I had girls my first year, 20 minutes making varsity. Now you have to run like 1730 to make my varsity. It's like, because I just think they saw what the guys had and they wanted to be a part of that. And it's just been breeding, you know? I mean, my freshman class this year is unbelievable. I have, I probably have four freshmen that can break 420 in the mile. It's just, they're unbelievable. And they just, what? they see me, they, oh, I'm not joking. I, I have, I have, I was saying, I already said in an interview this year, my track team, I have 15 guys that could break 430. I mean, these guys are just, I have JV guys that are going to break 430, like no problem. I mean, we're, they're a serious group of guys. I mean, they want to be good. It's, it's pretty awesome, but it's the environment you make. You know, we make workouts fun. We'll have music. We'll have excitement. You know, I'll have parents there in the stands on days that they have to go hard. I want them to have fun and know this is like, this is what we're doing. You know, we're not just, this isn't just boring, hard work. This is fun, hard work. So. That's crazy. What you're a little bit, how old are you? Like 42, 43? Uh, I just turned 43 a couple weeks ago. So you're a little bit younger than me, three three years, but same same era. And the high school kids are running so much faster. Like you said, oh, a kid just ran 9.19 or something. When I was in high school, my teammate ran 9.12 for two miles, and that was like top 20 in the country. Sure. Yeah, I remember that. When I was in high school, it was like that. Like, what do you think the difference is? Is some of it, obviously, is the training and stuff, but do you think some of it is, I mean, you got freshmen running sub 420. That's kind of crazy. 
that used to almost never happen. Yeah. Do you think just the internet, people see what's going on and there, there's just more knowledge like, yeah, a, a 15 year old kid can actually do this or what do you think it is? It has to be. The, I think a lot has to do with internet and people being more educated um, and just knowing what to do. I mean, I look back at my high school days and I was like, what in the world are we doing? I felt like I could have run so much faster if I if I knew what I was doing back then. I mean, it was like, I feel like high school programs, I don't want to say that we don't train as hard as college, but we have a complete program where we do supplemental training. We keep them injury free. They know how to they, they know how to warm up properly. Well, at least like my program and like Doug's program and stuff like that. I think I think it's different. I mean, when I was in high school, we used to jog a mile and a half, do some leg swings and just rail a workout. I mean, now I'd be my guys take an hour to warm up. You know, I mean, they it's it's a we have a, a whole routine. And I think, you know, when I was at um, Milrose Games, you know, I was talking to Nick Willis, who I you know know vaguely through the years. And he was laughing. He's like, look at your guys. They're, they're warming up more than I am. And I'm the old man. And I was like, oh, man, you got to come to my practice. If they don't do it, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I mean, I just I'm strict with that because I think when they go to college, they need to know this stuff, you know, and that's why a lot of the fit, you know, the programs that they uh, that they chose, like Jason Nico are great programs, um, you know, you know, running for Colorado and NAU, you know, from what I understand and talk to them, they, they do all the stuff we do. It's pretty cool. Well, are you worried, though, that they may not progress in college if they're doing so much already in high school or they might be mentally burnt out? I mean, it sounds like you're making it fun, but, you know, back when we had the old Let's Run Track Talk, it, was, it wasn't a weekly thing like it is now. I had Bill Aris on there, and, and I was incredibly impressed with what he had accomplished, and I, I think he's – some people think he's a tyrant. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I, I coached a guy that was one of his top runners ever, and I'm like, they love this guy. They want to run for this guy. But sort of the knock on him is – you know, the women don't really do anything in college. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any fears about them moving forward? Not, like not even- anyone that I've seen. Um, Nico is going to be a star. You know, if he stays healthy, Nico is going to be a star. Jace is going to be, I mean, he's going to be an All-American. I, I know it. I just, th- I leave room for improvement. I really do. I think I've definitely been criticized. You know, I see stuff online and people criticize me for workouts. But you're talking about one of the top guys in the country ever if not the best guy ever. Um, you know, if he had his chance to, to run this season, I think he could prove that. Um, he's he's going to improve. And I think Nico is a smart enough kid. That's why he's as good as he is. That if, he, you know, say he ran 1335 this year and he went to college and ran 1336, he knows he's stronger and better, but that's part of the process. So I don't think it's going to hurt him. Um, and, and Mike's a great guy to have him there when that happens or if something like that would happen. But it might not. He might go to thirteen ten his freshman year. I mean, I'm making that number up, but I don't know. I'm I'm not really worried about it because I think you know we don't run a ton of miles. We don't do. We just do. There's certain things that I do in my program that maybe other people don't do. I don't know. We we're, we do speed year round. We do speed developmental work year round. We don't stop it at all. Um, you know, we just there's certain things that we do, and we make sure we work on mechanics a lot. Although people probably don't think I with Nico, but um, he has some arm movement stuff we're working on, but. No, we, we work on a lot of things, and I think it's just going to help them to run faster in college. I really do. So when you say you work you work on speed, what do, what do you mean by that? Is that kind of like the Alberto Salazar type stuff? or what? what a little could, bit. You know, and when you say do, they don't run that much mileage, how much mileage are they running? Uh, okay, so Nico Freshman hit, year versus senior year. Yeah, Nico hit 70 miles for the first time ever like last month. Um, he had never run 70 before. He's always in the mid-60s. But for him, I don't think that – you know, I don't know. I don't think that's much. Every Jason Nico 
are in the 60s and everybody else is in the 50s on my team um, and for my top guys. So I think that's normal. My top girl's probably 55. She's not running that much because those girls have been, I have had to progress them slowly because the program before I was there um, just hard, had them hardly running at all. They were doing three, four mile runs. I mean, my girls for the first time ran a 10 mile long run this year. And that was like an amazing feat for them. You know, the team that went to nationals because their long run was six miles before I was there. But no, I mean, 70 is they, they Jason and Nico both hit 70 for the first time not that long ago. Um, but they won't, they probably haven't hit that over the past few weeks. They're usually 65 to 70. But I always say a big reason for their success is last year when he ran 840, he had never gone under 60 except the week before Arcadia and the week before um, the state meet. He, we just, we don't, I don't drop a lot of miles. I would, I don't go down to 30 miles. If he was running 90, we'd probably drop more, but I would never do that with him in, um, with him in high school. And I think the programs they're both going to, they're high mileage programs. So they're going to have to start moving up into that direction. So who, who would you say your training's based off of? You had so many influences from Steve Scott to Alberto Salazar. When you were at Adam State, was it Joe Hill? Was he still there? Uh, Joe Hill was there. Not my coach was, uh, Damon Martin, but Joe Hill was there with Dina Actually, one of my my friends from college, one of I don't think he was actually my roommate, but one of my good friends in college, Andrew Castor, ended up marrying Dina. Um, but Joe V Hill was there. He had his like post collegiate group. I think it was like a Reebok group at the time. Um, and Damon Martin was my coach. Um, I get a lot of the stuff from Damon is like he is a a motivator. Like before every workout and and every like major like race, I I sit down with my team and there's there's certain things I want to talk to him about. And a lot of that comes from um, Damon Martin. I, I you could sit in a room with that guy and you'll leave that thing thinking you're gonna run a 350 mile. Like he just pumps you up and I, and I and he gets you motivated. A lot of his sayings I take from him, you know, chasing excellence and all this other stuff that he always talked about, even when I was there. Um, but coaching, you know, Scott Simmons, I, I kind of take it a little bit from everyone. I mean. I, coaching wise, I think, you know, I don't know enough about the program. I, I'm not there every day, but I think Alberto Salazar is just amazing. And, and I think to the fact that he would, he does all these weird quirky things like, you know, with the mask, went for the allergies and stuff. I think that stuff is he's thinking outside the box, the stuff that people hate about him. I actually know nothing about, cause obviously I wasn't on the inside of anything. Um, but I think the speed work, um, not being scared to go to the, I hate using the expression, go to the well, because they, we always leave a little extra. I'll never make them go that crazy. But some, I just don't think people realize how good they are. I think they're scared and people put numbers in their head and they think like, oh, I can't run that. And it's like, stop that freaking number. Get it out of your head. Like you could close a workout in a 53. Let's just do it. And they're like, what? I'm like, like Nico, right before the last workout we did, he closed the workout um, together legally when we had a workout on a, on a Saturday. I think the last workout was, I'm trying to look at the two weeks ago on a Saturday was the last time we could work out. And Nico closed the workout in a 53. And it's like, and he was looking at me like, I'm crazy. I'm like, 53. Has hit it fifty three, and he can do, and he was able to do it. And it's like, I just think, I get it. It's hard to say exactly. Steve Scott, a lot. I get a lot of stuff from Steve Scott because he is uh, a lot of his workouts. You know, he does a thing called a simulation workout. I'll do that a lot, um, but it's not really the workouts. It's how you implement them and how much rest you give and and how much rest you don't give. And I actually heard a podcast that you guys did last week. I don't know who said it, but somebody said, "Oh, after every workout, I believe in." Um, finishing faster than you start. I don't know who said that. Somebody, okay. Um, Weldon, I did. Weldon. So, so but I do the opposite a lot. 
because I believe in putting junk in your legs where you go out, you need to go out hard because at the state meet, especially cross country, these kids are going to go out too fast. It's the state meet. If you don't get out, you you don't know how to do that. At the national championship, I Nico was able to go out in 425 and be fine. He's done it a million times of practice. And I think if you get used to that, you build up that tolerance and it's like, you, obviously you can't have a kid go out 425 who's not capable of it. But I, I, a lot of workouts we do, you go out really hard, you settle in, and then you finish hard, but not as hard as you go out. Well, it's funny you're saying that because I think Weldon was a really good rhythm runner, a 10K runner, smooth. He was never good at cross country because you got to get out hard. But right before Nico broke that record at Milrose, I had John Kellogg, our coach, watch that video where he did that crazy workout. <laughs> and, and, you know, because John normally is about going slower to faster. And I said, what do you think about that workout? He said, oh, that's perfect. He's like, that's perfect for two miles. And I said, what do you think you can run? And he gave me a three-second window, and, and Nico was within that window. So he approved of the workout. It was John Kellogg approved. So, um, you know, I think when you're, when you're running the shorter stuff, you can go harder more often. Weldon was more of a 10K guy. I, that workout was – it's funny because I was watching the video right before we did this. Well, you can tell them it was like a 410 mile, 1600, and then a 207, 800, and then a 416 mile, and then a, another 800. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I was thinking about that, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is the exact opposite of what, I, what I'm preaching. And then I'm like, I wasn't a good cross-country runner. I would not have been good trying to race pros being in over my head. Like, yeah. But my general thing with, with that is I think a lot of kids, they don't, especially if they're training by yourself, they don't know how to run. Like they'll force, would you agree that kids can force them? Maybe high school is different than sort of like a post-collegiate more developed runner. But I think like when I was in college, I could force stuff in workouts. My coach is like, you're doing the same workouts these other guys did. We'd race like shit because we were doing too much. Um, So that's why I I generally say like, hey, you want to finish this faster than you start. But clearly there's good reasons not to. Like that 3K made sense. I mean, he did great, but like, is, any, if, is anything I'm saying making sense, or do, do I look at it totally wrong? No, I, I, I know that totally makes sense. I mean, I think uh, I think there's time. I, I think again. So if I say this, and then people can criticize me, be like, he does all of his workouts aren't hard. No, we don't. Sometimes we have a day. I'm like, guys, it's about rhythm, stay in control. You know, I mean, I, I actually saw some stuff about people criticizing me for doing a four mile tempo where Nico ran like I don't know 1959. You're in basically five flat pace, and I'm like. Now they're saying it's too easy of a workout. What, what do they want for these guys? I was like, there's nothing I can do. I mean, Nico does five miles in, in 25 flat. Like, it's a joke. I mean, it's it's not hard for him. He does four. We do four miles a lot because I'll wait till we get to the track and I'll be like, okay, you're too tired. You know, we look at a lot of those things. You know, I use the Ember device where it does the hemoglobin and I and I get the hemoglobin. It's a non-invasive hemoglobin test and I, I look at that. And I see, okay, you're not, you're not feeling too good today. Let's let's go off that, you know. I, I look at all that stuff. I mean, that's something that I got from, uh, you know, Brenda Martinez and Carlos Handler. They use that a lot. And I used it in the summer when we were up in Big Bear, and it helps. It, it kind of tells you how you're feeling. So so tell me about the first time. You, like, when did you meet Nico, and how quickly did you realize that there was something special about him? And, and I guess my, my my third question would be, as good as he was then, how does he compare to some of these freshmen that you have now, though? Are they just as good as he is coming coming forward? Yeah. Well, I, I met Nico my first day of cross-country practice his freshman year. That was the first time I coached cross. It was uh, it was in June. We have a thing called the dead period in California. We just finished our dead period where you're, you're not supposed to have contact with the kids. 
and we had started our practice and I met him. He was five one. He had braces. He was this little kid. And I, and I was like, okay, I, I didn't know who anyone was. I looked up his times and I was like, oh, he ran a 505, 1600. That's pretty good for an eighth grader. I'm, I was like, okay, he could be pretty good. But the guy had, he just had a fire. Like he wanted to be so good. He was too talented for his body. Like he would, his freshman year at track, I actually wouldn't let him run because he like, I think he could have tore his hamstring a little bit. He, he hurt his hamstring really bad in a workout because he would just go so hard. And I'm like, stop, stop. So I wrote his mom this big, long letter and said, hey, we're going to call it quits. I think he needs to just rest. I think he needs to just get better and, and just no racing. And they were all upset, but they understood. And um, I met Nico. I, I knew he was going to be good. But his sophomore year, when he ran 9.05 in a two-mile, a 3,200, I looked at that and I was like, this kid's unreal because he's not running a whole lot right now. And the workouts he's doing are, are good, but they're not, they shouldn't be nine Oh five good. And, uh, I, he did, you put him in a race and he, he wants to race. So I knew right then. And then going into his junior year, you know, I knew he was going to be contender to win NXN and be one of the best. And then obviously we're where we are now. So. What do you think he projects as long-term? Is he a, is his best event going to be the marathon? Is it going to be the 5K, the 10K? What do you think? I always like to compare him to Rupp. I think he's going to be a heck of a 5 and 10K guy for years. And, I, and hopefully, you know, if Mike Smith, it would be awesome for him to coach him through his career or whatever happens to him. But I would love for him to – I would think at knowing him now that he would be best if, you know, running the 10K and then maybe the marathon. I don't know. I, I feel like that's always a big if. But I think he's going to be a – I think he'll be – I'll say it. I think he'll be NCAA champion in that 10K. You know, he's gonna be he's gonna be a great five and ten. He's got wheels too. I mean, I don't know what he could run a 400 in, but I'm pretty sure he could run 50 point at 51. I mean, we do 200s and he runs 25s, so I'm pretty sure he's he's pretty fast. People are like, oh, he's not fast. I'm like, okay, he's not fast. <laughs> he's definitely fast. But um, but you were asking about the freshman on my team. He, he has two younger brothers that are twins, uh, Lex and Leo, and his brother. They they went out and. Lex's first high school race for three miles ran 1442. And I was like, what just happened? And then he, he almost won. He almost beat these seniors that were like, like 410 guys. He outkicked the guy who ran 410, a, a 910 in a two mile the year before. So I'm like, this is insane. And his other brother ended up running. I'm going to be mad. I don't know that PR said he was like low 50. I know he ran 1459. His other brother ran 1459. Um, Lex is just like Nico. He's too talented for his body. He was on our top seven. And then right before uh, the national meet, he had um, some like piriformis issue or something. And he could have ran, but we sat him and we ran his brother on my seventh as a seventh man instead. So his brother got to go. He was our alternate. But um, both those guys right now, you know, his brother, uh, Leo, opened up the season in a 422. And, you know, he won the 1600. But both of them are, are sub 420 right now. I mean, it's it's unreal. And th- these kids, I think they're going to be 840 guys. I really do. They're unreal. That's crazy. I mean, that's what we like also. You predicted Nico will be a NCAA NCAA champion at 10K. I like to hear that. I like confident predictions. Our viewership likes that. It's, I mean, he sounds like the sky's the limit for him. Maybe even it's both his brothers. I mean, it's kind of crazy. He's he's a good kid. He's a humble kid, too. Um I don't know. People don't, people don't think I'm humble with stuff, but I get excited. I, I mean, I, I put so much time into these kids and they're great guys. And, um, I, you know, I live it with them. I'm there day in, day, day in, day out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Some people were, were 
you know, you can feel the passion jumping through the screen. I think some people criticized you for getting up on the award stand at the next end. And, <laughs> and, and I disagreed. I was like, like, I think when you're young, your greatest asset is, is you do live and die with it. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm a twin. When Weldon would run fast, I felt like I did it. But I, it also made me, I read about Shailene Flanagan. She, I think when one of her teammates did well, she realized, oh, I'm going to be good at a coaching. Because I feel like if you don't feel like you're kind of part of it, you're never going to be that great of a coach. If you're just going through the motions, they're going to pick up on that eventually. So uh, I, to me, it's it, it's pretty, pretty inspiring to hear it. And also, you don't think you know it all. You're trying to learn from other people. Right. But one thing that one thing that struck me earlier was you said earlier that you know you you've learned so much from so many different coaches, including you know the positives and negatives. Everybody's got negatives. Nobody does anything perfectly. What do you think? Something that you've done, you know, at Newberry Park that hasn't been hasn't been well. What what are you trying to work on? That what mistakes have you made? I mean, m- mistakes I made, especially in the beginning, were. Um uh, the supplemental training, you know, that's something that I've, I've added into my program more in the past year and a half. Um, you know, I think if we just run, you just run, if a kid's running 50, 60, now maybe a couple of them, 70 miles a week, I think they're going to get hurt. You got to do supplemental training, you know, so we do hip, ankle, um, glute strengthening three days a week. It's just a big part of our program. Ankle strengthening is huge, huge, huge. A- ankle mobility. That's, I think, something that we missed the boat on because everybody was getting hip issues and piriformis issues. And I'm like, what is going on? So um, we kind of worked on that stuff. But, um, you know, a couple things is I think maybe I, I, I tended to uh, do hard workouts too close to races um, when they had to run fast. And maybe that was, you know, something that I did just to have them, um, you know, get them confidence. So I always want them to have confidence through their workouts. But in the big picture, it's like, you just got to leave it up to the races. And I've kind of learned, I've learned that, you know, uh, as of recently. So earlier, you're talking about a one hour warm up. Can you take us through that? Well, we do, uh, we do a rope stretching thing that takes about 15 minutes or so, maybe 20 minutes. A lot of that stuff comes from Jim Wharton and Phil Wharton, um, who I know pretty well. Um, you know, Jim, you know, he's not doing that great right now, but Phil, um, these are people that I spend time with every summer. Um, and I would, uh, touch base with them and, and the rope stretching routine, that's pretty, uh, tedious. We do that. Um, you know, they do two to three miles of of obviously easy jogging, warm up. Um, and then we have a a pretty, uh, um, detailed, uh, um, like dynamic drills that we do. Um, and it takes a while to do everything, you know, and by the, uh, usually the, the rule of thumb is it's about 50 to 55 minutes. That's what, like, if you have to race, you, you have, you have to start your warm up about an hour before your race and that you'll be on the line, ready to go at that time with all the last strides. It takes almost an hour. I was actually, um, I was actually at a track once and, you know, we were doing a workout another coach was there and he's just like, you guys take a long time to do a workout to do a warm up rather. And I was like, I, I just, that's what we do. And I watched his guys go like 15 minutes and start a workout. I was like, I can't do that. I think you're just going to get injured. I just, I, I don't think you can do that. Uh, rope stretching is a huge part of our program though. So yeah, I went to one of Jay Johnson's high school coaching clinics in Boulder last year. Yeah. And some of the other top coaches were there. And that was sort of the one thing I noticed that was different than when I was in high school, they were all aware of like functional strength drills, that sort of thing. And they're like, look, they're young growing kids. You got to keep them healthy and stronger. And then that makes them faster. And then this, the speed element as well. You know, and I think we're seeing guys like, you know, Jacob Ingebrigtsen. Like before people would say these Kenyan guys were run so fast and people were like, oh, they're overage, they're this or that. 
And that guy, I think, sort of has reset the bar for everybody. And now probably Nico thinks like, oh, yeah, I can run faster. Like, you know, a, a high school kid can run sub 1330. Yeah, he, he's not scared of it, too. That's the crazy part. And I think that's the hardest battle is telling a kid that nine flat isn't fast. But that's what I like about my team. It's kind of snowballed that, uh, you know, I have I have freshmen that are like, I want to break nine this year. And I'm like, OK, hold on. <laughs> That you got to be, I mean, Nico's brothers are, I'm like, no, 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 not there yet. Let's get you under 920 your freshman year. And it's like, but that's crazy. I'm saying that because some kids run 920 and they go to college and they're super successful. So, uh, but I think it's just the bar you set. I think it's the expectations. And, you know, as long as we can keep this going and the girls are like that now, five flats, not fast for my girls. I mean, they're like, you know, I have three girls that can go into 450. It's like, they don't have a chance to do it. It's driving me crazy, but it's, you know, we have to deal with this right now and, and everyone it's better for everyone's not racing. So, well, we don't want to take you forever. I don't know if the other guys have anything to say, but like it, it is a crazy period, as you were saying, like the 520 girl, at the very least, someone needs to go hold a phone. If we're not, you know, if we can't race for months, who knows? But, you know, who knows? Maybe two weeks from now, some timer can go set up a timer, like you said, and then there's just video yeah. going and like kids show up at 15 minute intervals and time trial. I mean, it, hopefully we're at a, we're getting, we get back to more normal before then. My athletes seem to be getting the work done. I, I can't give them a track to work out on. Um, I wish I could, but, uh, but they seem to be getting the work done and um, it's, it's good for them. I think it's, it's healthy for them right now. You know, the thing I keep saying is some people get upset that like, Oh, people are still working out and there's people, dying and all this stuff and i understand that we really do but unfortunately i don't want to say unfortunately but i think these kids need normalcy right now i think they do i mean i think it's good for them to to think like this there's a lot of negative people like coaches and runners um man on on twitter some of them i just want to reply and be like man you wouldn't last a day on my team if you thought negative like that like i know we don't know the future but i mean some people like canceling sports for the next two years i'm like just relax like just let this run its course and then like let's figure it out if it goes into cross country next year it goes into cross but don't keep saying that because the famous saying i have for my team is your wish is my command if you keep saying it it's going to happen stop saying it's going to happen let's just let's all be positive and get through this you know so i think that's some great advice in this period but if there's any high scorers listening out there you know run responsibly don't go run with a team don't secretly meet up with a team you know, we're supposed to have social distancing, small groups, see what the rules are in your place. Maybe you can run with one other person, keep some distance, but this isn't the time to mess around because people are on edge right now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I like the, I like the, uh, the, the positive outlook, Sean. If you get accused of being a, a COVID denier, I've got your back because I've said a few things just trying to be optimistic and people are, are very upset with me. A few people are very upset with me on the message board. So I've got your back if, if you need it. But, yeah, uh, no, it's cr- it's crazy. It's like I mean, I, I got a I got a text from my 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 dad the other day. My grandmother's in a um in a retirement home where somebody died of you know coronavirus, and they're on lockdown in their rooms in her retirement home. It's like I know it's serious. I get it. It's like and it's terrible, and and we're scared for her. But these kids, I, I really believe this is a this can they can turn this into something positive, and I think them training on their own, they could learn a lot. They could learn a lot from that. I really do. And, and I, I, I'm not opposed to it. And, you know, I don't know, no matter what I do, I mean, I've learned this from talking to you guys a little bit online. I, I don't think, I think people are going to hate me no matter what I do. And then some people are going to love me. But ironically, 
you know, when I go to these big races like Milrose and I start talking to the college coaches that I look up to, they all, we all have great conversations, but then there's other people who seem to think, ah, uh, you're doing everything wrong. And, uh, it's, it, it, I don't know. I, I guess you'll never make everyone happy. You, you want to inside you want to, but it just can't happen. So, yeah, I think actually most people really like you and respect what you're doing, but when you're successful, people criticize you or if you have a big platform, like let's run, like this one guy has been emailing me for two weeks nonstop saying I'm irresponsible about how we're handling COVID. It really bugs me. Yeah. I'm like, look, we're trying to allow discussion. We will delete anything that's factually false. You know, like this is, we're not, this is a forum. People are having discussions. We want to let people have that. Cause I think ultimately we get to a better place as a society, but he, as you said, you can't make everybody happy. Right. Well, thank you for all the time. I hopefully all these high schoolers locked in. You know, they need to start listening to running podcasts. They need to discover let'srun.com. Our audience is usually, I feel like kids get to college and they kind of discover what let's, let's run's about. Right. But hey, it sounds like you've learned from everyone. Like even the Whartons, like everyone. I'm like, yeah, I kind of know these people or met them once. I think you might be the you might be the like Kevin Bacon of the running world. One degree I, of separation, though. I've, I've annoyed a lot of people because <laughs> I just, I'd be like, oh, do you mind if I hang out sometime and come around? And it's like, but some people are really cool. I mean, I've sat, I remember sitting down with Jerry Schumacher once for like two, three hours talking about training. And it was like, it was awesome, you know? But then, you know, if I'm out there talking to Alberto, I don't think they're the best of friends, <laughs> but it is what it is. And um, I, you can learn from everybody. I know it's so cliche to say that, but it's truth. And I, I think if, I really believe if you want to be po- if you want to have a good friggin' high school team, you can have one. You just have to be willing to work harder than anybody else, and and not work the kids harder, but you as a coach. If you work harder, it could happen. I believe it. You know, I've seen it. So people ask me, "Oh, do you coach?" I'm like, "Oh, it's really hard to get established. It takes a long time. Like with, at a high school level, like coaching a few people one off is different. But five years to national champion, or I guess four, right? Four, yeah, four, four and cross, yeah." That's nuts. I'm going on my fifth year of track, yeah, which got canceled. But I did. we did get a good race in. Milrose is pretty good for, <laughs> for Nico, so we're happy with that. So, And I'm glad he proved some people wrong. Some people thought, ah, oh, he'll never break eight minutes. I'm like, dude, yeah, there's no way. He's going to break eight minutes. And it was hard for him, but it, it happened, so we were psyched. Well, give Nico the best. Robert and I are twins, so we're, 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 we think Nico's not even that good. We're all about the little brother's. Lex and Leo, they're, they're, they're the, going to be stars. They're the superstars. This yeah. one of them, like, one of them, usually beats the other one. It sounds like, right? Well, yeah, Lex. But then, was all, but, yeah, but then he got hurt. Yes. So now that was Robert, and then I became better. So the one that gets hurt, you better stop getting hurt. Uh oh. <laughs> no, he's he listens though. They they follow Nico. Whatever Nico says, they do. They do, and it's like Nico's pretty like, hey, you guys need to stretch, you need to roll out, you need to do this, and they do it. It's pretty awesome. So. Hey, people around Newberry Park, if you see three people running together, that's allowed. They're in the same family. So the youngs can run. Yeah, exactly. In the car together, too. They're in the same car. Don't get mad. <laughs> in this crazy and difficult time, if you're looking for products to help perform better, our friends at thefeed.com have you covered. They're sending our team a fresh supply of Martin and their new AeroFit device. Check it all out, thefeed.com slash let's run and use code let's run to save 15% off your entire order. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, 
you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.